0: You know, we've been in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans a few weeks ago, and uh, looking at what the Christian life is really like. We saw the Christian life as a life of war. There's an inner battle that's going on on the side of every believer. Uh, We see that uh, the Spirit is warring uh, against the flesh, and the flesh is warring against the Spirit, and this uh, inner battle that, that... that Paul described in his own life as one where he desired to do that which was, was right, but he, he seemed to do that which was wrong. And so we have all can identify with that. And that's normative Christianity. This warfare going on is going to last until the day that you die, to the day that you see Jesus face to face. Now, you're going to be growing in grace and you're going to see victory over sin, but as far as this battle goes, this is, this is normal Christianity. And so today I want to continue as we look at the Christian life from Psalm 121, we realize not only is it an inner battle for holiness, we're going to see today that it's also not a cruise down a paved superhighway. It, it, it's really a, a life of walking and running, as Paul described it, the Christian race down a, a, a trail that's bumpy, it's dirty, it's, it has edges, places to fall, there's, there's, there's danger involved in our walk. And so we're going to find out that the Christian life is really marked by adversity. I mean, how, how many of you, without holding up your hands, think about your own life right now. Think about your life in the last several months or a few years ago. And ask yourself, what kind of adversity have you faced? What kind of trials have you, have you had to go with? And uh, you, unless you're an, an exception normative Christianity is that we all go through trials and we all go through sufferings and adversities. And the encouraging thing we're going to see from Psalm 21 is that what God does to encourage us in the midst of a life full of adversity. It's tempting to be discouraged. It's tempting to be be depressed. It's tempting to be downcast as Christians, to mope as, as the Jews did, uh, to whine and, uh, and to give up hope and to go into spiritual nosedive and to even throw in the towel altogether and to leave. And this is a psalm that speaks into your heart so that you will be, remain fast or strong in the Christian life. So this morning what I'd like to do is take a break from the book of Romans. I want to share a few encouraging words that I've discovered this last past week. From Psalm 121. As some of you know, I'm honored to uh, preach this week down in uh, Estes Park at the International Fire Conference. Uh, and so they've asked me to preach on Psalm 121. I've drawn from some of the studies that I've done for that conference to find a few cur- encouraging words to bring to you this morning. Uh, God has given us the Lord's Day as a gift, He's given us one day in seven as a time to collectively gather together, just like we're doing right now, to corporately gather together to encourage one another. You know, we encourage one another through the Word of God. So we open the Word of God, and hopefully this morning you're going to hear words of encouragement, words that will bring joy and cause your heart to sing. That's what I hope we see in Scripture. But we're also to encourage one another personally, one-on-one. So we get together after church, and, and you hear someone is downcast, and you bring a, a, a testimony, a, you encourage them from something that God's done in your own life. And so that helps all of us to, to uh, have a renewed hope, a renewed joy. We pray for one another, and that's part of our prayer life. We pray for one another that uh, we would be strong in the Lord. Now, Psalm 121 is uh, the second of the 15 Psalms called the uh, Songs of Ascent. Ever, anybody ever heard of that? Songs of Ascent. There's 15 of them in Scripture. This is number two of 15. Some even believe that it might be a, uh, like, like a mini Psalter, where just for these 15 we're, we're, were known and together and sung regularly by, by the Jews. Uh, the word Song of Ascent comes from how it opens up in the first line in the Hebrew, where it literally says, we're going up. We're stepping upward. This is a song where those who are singing are going up, or they're, they're stepping upward. It's, it's sometimes called a, pig, a pilgrim psalm because we see that uh, it was sung by the believers, the, the Jews, who were, in fact, on a pilgrimage, heading up to Jerusalem, stepping up to Jerusalem to worship God at perhaps one of the ceremonies like the Passover. The main thought of the psalm we're going to see is it's a God that helps us in our time of need. It's a God who protects us during our time of need. He's always there. He's always watching. He's always caring. He's always blessing. And and we're going to see this throughout the psalm. Now, you'll notice in the outline of the bulletin that I've listed this under headings that have to do with expectations. And the first one is the expectation of adversity. One of the principles that I learned early in my Christian life, actually I was right out of seminary and I heard this from a man who was uh, leading a seminar on being discouraged in the ministry. Now, I don't think anyone here is discouraged, are they? I mean, is anyone here downcast today? Everyone's upbeat, ready to go, full of joy. I mean, come on, let's be honest with one another. If not today, it was last week. And if not today, it's going to be next week. And so, what happens? Why is it we get discouraged in our Christian life? Why is it that we get depressed in our Christian life? And what I learned early, what a very discouraged time in my own life in ministry was, discouragement in your life is linked to your expectations not being biblical. Now, now mark that, follow that through with me. To the extent that your expectation of your Christian life is biblical, you'll never be discouraged. God's going to work it out just the way He reveals in Scripture, so you'll you'll never be discouraged. But to the extent that your expectation in life is above or different than the expectation that God gives you in His Word, to that gap, to that degree, you will be discouraged and you will be depressed. Putting it in a positive sense, if your expectations are biblical, you will not be discouraged, and you will uh, not be disappointed. Or the greater that your expectations are unbiblical, the greater your discouragement is going to be in life. And So the battle is, is to take our expectations in life and ministry and to bring them in, in, into line with what the Bible says. And uh, well, what, what would you expect? Just thinking, what you know about the Bible, what would you expect your expectation should be in your daily walk in your Christian life? I mean, what what should you expect God to do in your life next week? I mean, is sickness part of it? Is losing a job part of it? I mean, what expectations would you have as far as them being framed by the Bible and the Bible alone? Would you expect adversity? You know, we're going to see that in this in this uh, psalm. It opens up with uh, words that uh, of, of expectation. We're going to see of could be that there's robbers. We're going to see there could be falling down. Could be that there's injury. Uh, could be that there, and you just go on and on. We're going to see some of the expectations here, but if your expectations are biblical, you've got to factor in in your expectations adversity in your life. And so, when adversity hits, you don't go you don't go into a funk. This is normative Christianity, and where Psalm one twenty one comes in. This is the blessing. Psalm one twenty one comes and says, "Well, how should you then respond when adversities do come? Since adversity are normative in the Christian life." You know, if you look through the, the normal lives of other saints that have gone before us in the Scriptures, you, you find, get a, a glimpse of what that normative Christianity is like. Uh, in the hills we're going to look at, there's robbers. So if you get broken into next week, don't be surprised. If someone breaks into your house and steals something. That, that shouldn't put you into a spiritual funk. Because you see that's normative in in many Christian lives, according to Scripture. Whether you you have an injury, whether you have a sickness, we see normative Christianity factors into that. Sickness, even death and the loss of loved ones. Are you going to see predatory animals somehow factor into this whole thing of having a, a biblical understanding and expectation on life? So, The the psalm opens up with uh, going up. It's a psalm for pilgrims. It's a song that pilgrims sang when they were going up to Jerusalem uh, to worship God, to uh, perhaps be a part of the Passover feast. And this is a psalm that tells us that God helps and protects those who are traveling in the face of danger. Israel is up. It's on a hill. It, it, it's above everything around it. So if you're going to Israel from any direction, or to Jerusalem from any direction, you're going to go up. Uh, you know, Mount Zion is 2,500 feet. Uh, Jericho is below sea level. So if you go from Jericho, the short distance, up to Jerusalem, you're going to climb 3,400 feet. It's going to be pretty steep. And it's all going to be by, by foot in those days. And so we're going to see how God protects his people during times of walking up and the calamity and the adversity that can come into life during such times. So expect adversity. That, that's our first point. Uh, look, look what the writer says in, in 1a I lift up my eyes to the hills. So here are the pilgrims are walking up the, the pathway, heading to Jerusalem. They're looking down the road, who knows how far, but they're looking up and lifting their eyes up to the hills. And, and the question is, what does that mean? In what way were they lifting up their eyes to the hills? I mean, some of my commentaries actually say that, you know, it was in the hills, in the high places where you had pagan worship. And so they were looking to other gods, perhaps, to help them during their time of need. But I don't think that's the case. I think instead what we have here is they're li- looking up the hills, realizing what lies ahead, is going to be rough, it's going to be tough, and there's going to be adversity in the hills that are ahead. So they're not looking to the hills for help, they're looking beyond the hills to the God who made the hills, who's going to help them during their time of need. And so the hills are, not, are, are, part, are part of the problem, not the solution to the problem. And if you've seen it, I know some of you have been to Jerusalem you know, you've been to Jerusalem? You've been to Jerusalem, haven't you? Yeah, several others of you? Holy lands? You know, even today, they haven't like paved this road up to Jerusalem from, uh, from Jericho. I mean, if you go on it, you can see it, it turns to a dirt road. And the, 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 these are people that travel the road in sandals. And there's rocks and there's places you can fall off and it's steep. And these, these pilgrims knew that they would be put in places of danger and you're out walking around at night, and you're with maybe several other people, and what lies in the mountains? What lies in the valleys? What lies up ahead? Well, there's burglars. There's people going to rob you. So there's danger. you got, you got your sandals on. You might fall. You might stumble. You might injure yourself. It's treacherous. And they realized their journey was a treacherous journey. And they expected that, so they weren't surprised if, if something would come up Along the way, I mean, you see this, for example, in the in the parable of the good Samaritan. Is so the good Samaritan's coming down to Jericho, and so he's having probably been in Jerusalem on his way down, but on the same path the, the, the pilgrims are going the other way. And what happened? He's beat up and robbed. Remember that. This is the danger of of, of these roads. Now, those of us who've been through Pilgrim's Progress recently, remember we we picked up the imagery of young Christian as he, as he went through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and if you remember, that, that, that was quite a story. I mean, it's in the valleys I mean that the, the, these, these adversities come to you. And he says, Why the valley itself, which is as dark as pitch, which also saw that there are hobgoblins, satyrs, dragons of the pit. We heard also in the valley a continual howling and yelling of, of a people under unutterable misery, who were there, who sat bound in affliction with irons. Over the valley hangs the discouraging cloud of confusion. Death also was there, spread his wings over it all. In a word, it is a very wit, dreadful being utterly without order. So when you're going up to the hills, I and mean, this is what you're thinking about. You're thinking about all the, the adversity that can come into your life. So, you're looking for a biblical expectation of life, and, and you see adversity. You would look at a life at a person like the Apostle Paul, and you would ask yourself, Would you expect to have a life any different than the Apostle Paul, let alone the Lord Jesus Christ? But you go to 2 Corinthians 11, and he just gives a laundry list of what his life was like. Well, I was in prison, I was beat. I was stoned. I was shipwrecked three times. I had the dangers of robbers and dangers every place that I went. I hungered. I was thirsty. I was cold. Verse 28, he says, And apart from all the others, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And so he had anxiety and fears in his heart for himself and for others. That was normative Christianity for the Apostle Paul. And so are we to have a, somehow a star-crossed life as believers in Christ, not expecting there to be adversity in our own lives? And if God should do anything differently than that, what a blessing. But this is what our expectation level should be, biblical. And if they're biblical, they're going to be filled with trials, persecutions, and difficulties. And of course, that causes then the, next, the rest of the sentence, from then where... Where does our help come from? Once we have an expectation of adversity, it should raise a question, well, then how are we going to get through this? How are we going to get through those hills? How how are we going to get through the, the, the trials that lie ahead? Where does my help come from? Now, typically, when adversity comes into your life and my life, we don't do what Psalm 121 tells us to do we start looking in all the wrong places and start looking, as we should, in all the right places. I mean, when things really turn south in your life, what do you do? Things really kind of go downhill. What do you do? Well, you know, you might go to the bookstore or Amazon and you might find the latest self-help book in whatever area you're struggling with. Maybe there's some help in the self-help book. Or there's some conference nearby, and you go to that because it's dealing with, a, with some topic in your own life. But I'll tell you what a lot, a lot of people do. They just go into a funk, and they go into a spiritual depression, and they pull back. And they say, well, you know what? I can't go to church. I'm, I'm in a funk. So they stop going to church. Uh, they stop having fellowship with other saints. They break off from the, from, the, from the body of Christ, and they isolate themselves. That's what we typically do when we're in that kind of adversity. And if things are really bad as we run through these hills, we, we, we escape all hopelessness. And, and sometimes, and God forbid, some even give up and turn around, like in John chapter 6, not to walk anymore with Christ. Here's a second expectation. You should have not only an expectation of, of adversity, a realistic understanding of what life is like as a Christian, but secondly, an expectation of God's help. Verse two says, "My help comes from the Lord, who made the heavens and the earth." See, your thoughts begin to leap beyond the trials and the mountains and the hills that lie in all the dangers you see, out past the mountains, out past the dangers, and, and now God comes into focus, and my help lies in God, in Him alone. And by the way, not just any God, but the God who made the what? The heavens and the earth. The answer is your help comes from the God who is sovereign, the God who created the hills, who spoke powerfully, spoke the hills into being. Help comes from an omnipotent God, an all-knowing God. So you got a problem. He knows what your problem is. He understands every, every part of your problem. A God who is wise, who when it comes to working things out in a sovereign way in your life, is doing so in a wise way. He knows best the solution for your life. The God who is good and He does that which is good. He's working all things out together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. So when times of adversity come to your life, difficulties, trials, discouragement, go to God first. Not last, but first. Go to His people first. Go to His Word first. Find Him. Find him in his word. Commune with him in prayer. And realize that I need to avail myself of all the means of grace that he's given me. What are they? Well, the word's one. Prayer's one. Fellowship with God's saints' one. Breaking of bread together around the Lord's table's one. Commune with him. Know him. He is your present help in your time of need. Now, the question is do you believe that? I mean, I can say that, and you've heard that. This is nothing new for any one of us. But do you really believe that when things really turn south and there's adversity in your Christian life, God is the first one you go to to deal with whatever problem you have? I mean, what would keep us from wanting to storm the very throne of grace? I mean, the God who can cope with creating the universe should, sure, cope with your problem and find you. Your, your way out. Number three, look for the expectation of God's protection. Uh, God will protect you during your time of need, during your adversity. I want you to look at something. We've been going through hermeneutics during the uh, Sunday school class. Remember we talked about look for uh, verbs and and also look for pronouns. And then you ask yourself not only the tenses, but you ask yourself when it comes to the pronouns, what do they mean? Now look at your Bible. Look, look at Psalm 121. Open it up and look at the first two verses. And then I want you to look at verse 3 and see if you see anything different about the pronouns in your Bible. You don't have to answer out loud, but will give you a second to look. What you'll see is when you come to, chat, to verse 3, there's a dramatic shift in the pronouns. You'll notice in verse 1 and verse 2, first-person pronouns. Uh, I, my. And then you get to, you get to verse 3 and notice, oh, now there's a shift. And the shift now is second person. It's you, yours. And so there's a change. Why? And then when you're interpreting, you ask yourself, why is that true? Well, can I learn from that? Well, we're going to learn one thing is that has, probably has something to do with the fact This is oftentimes called an antiphonal. antiphonal, I've got till Tuesday learn how to say this word. Antiphonal song, and that's just another way of saying it's a psalm or it's sung with responsive singers. So you might have a cantor who gets up and opens up, you know, with with a song, and then you have maybe a choir responding back to it, and they're singing back and forth to one another. You know, you've all heard of antiphonal singing. More than likely, that's what you have here. This is a song. This is to be sung. So you have the first two verses leading into the problem and the question, and, and perhaps the leader singing out, and perhaps as, as they're traveling along and singing together and just asking the questions, Well, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? That's part of the song. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth, and then. The response of singing comes at verse 3, where everyone responds back. And uh, in so doing, they give the answer of God's hope and the promise of God's hope. So, when we get all done, we're going to get to sing this together. We're going to sing this this psalm together as part of the, the application. And keep in mind, men, I'm going to ask you men, to sing the first two verses. And then all of us will, in an antiphonal fashion, We'll all come in then and sing the rest of the psalm together. So we'll, I'll explain that when we get to it. Be thinking about that. We all face trials and discouragement. We all ask the question, uh, where does my help come from? You know, Alistair Begg uh, said he, he thought this meant that it's rather an antiphonal song. He thought maybe this is a conversation that goes on in a, in a person's head. Maybe this is an internal conversation you have. You ask yourself, well, where's my help coming from? Then you remind yourself, begin to preach to yourself. Then you preach to yourself, well, it's coming from the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. Well, whether whether it's that or whether it's an antiphonal song, uh, you get the idea. We all face trials and discouragement at times. We all have needs, and we all need to sing loudly together in our own heads, verses 3 through 8. And we're going to sing forth that uh, God is protecting you. And the key word that comes out of this, we're going to see this passage, is the word, He'll keep you. Keep you. If you want to underline one word in your mind, He's our keeper. Verse 3, He will not let your foot to be moved. Remember we said the pilgrims have sandals on, they don't have hiking boots, it's dirty, they're trekking along, it's treacherous walking, there's rocks, there's places where you can slip you can fall you can injure yourself those of you who've been hunting here in wyoming know what it's like you know you can go out by yourself and you got boots on and you're walking around and i'll tell you what you twist your ankle you fall off a cliff you break your foot something happens and you're out there in the wilderness by yourself you can die that's how important this is you slip you know you you just brush yourself off and walk away but you can actually die from from such a fall treacherous And while that happens, he watches over you. Uh, This is a metaphor for... By the way, tripping and falling is a metaphor for misfortune, any kind of misfortune. And here's the point. God will keep you from falling. He's watching over you. Spurgeon said this, Our feet shall move in progress, but they shall not be moved to their overthrow. In other words... He might stop us temporarily in our sandals, the enemy, but he can't overthrow where we're going because God is going to see us through. Now, it does not mean that we'll never fall. It doesn't mean that we're never going to fall, but God will be there. He'll protect you. He'll help you in your time of need. You know, our church over in Powell, there's a lady who's been there since day one, and she's probably in her middle 80s now. And what I tried to do is every Lord's Day is take her by the arm and take her out to her car, open her door, put her in and close the door. And because, you know, the very thing, I didn't want her to slip and fall. didn't want her to fall. She had that that arm there to help her all the way to the car every Lord's Day. And I I think of that picture of of God. I mean, in some way, that's what He's there. He's there to, to be with us, to keep us from slipping, to keep us from falling. If we do fall, if Marilyn, Maryland, Maryland, I would have helped her back up again. And he's there to help us, pick us back up. That our walk might be steady and progressive. You will find his help in your time of need. Expectations of keep, God's keeping. We see nextly that uh, he, was, he who keeps you will not slumber. He is the God who not only hears, listen to this, He is the God who keeps. Uh, This word repeats. Now, Remember hermeneutics again. If a word repeats itself over and over and over and over again in a passage, that tells us what? A pretty important word. Maybe Maybe this is the central point of the whole passage. And here we find the word keep. If you look down in your scriptures, you'll find the word keep uh, repeated six times. Now, the last two verses, depending on your translations, might say he'll preserve... But it's the same Hebrew word, keep. And so you have keep in in, chapter, in verse 3, you have keep in verse 4, 5, 7, and 8. Keep, 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 keep in all the different ways that God keeps. And keep, keep literally means He'll care for you. He, he, he'll, he'll guard you. Uh, he'll protect you. He, he'll be a good steward for you. Verse 4, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And so the God who will collectively keep all of Israel, don't you think he will keep you individually, personally? And the answer is yes. And He'll keep you at all times because he never slumbers nor sleeps. He's he's on guard 24-7. He's God. He's not like the the, the pagan god Baal, remember there, where where you have uh, uh, Elijah out there and no, no fire came from Baal gods, and, and they cried out, and nothing happened. And finally, you know, we see that he's, Elijah begins to mock him in first, first Kings 18. He says, Well, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe that's why he's not doing anything. Maybe that's why he's not answering your prayer. Our God is not asleep, he's the God who keeps 24 7. And he never slumbers nor he sleeps. He's always on watch. And if you're tempted to think, well, yeah, but but he doesn't know what I'm going through. Maybe he was asleep on this watch. He doesn't know about my kids who no longer profess faith in Christ. And now they've walked out the door. They're 18 years old and they've walked out the door in unbelief. He must have been asleep on that day. Or perhaps he was asleep on, on, on the day when, when sickness came into my family and, 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 and one of my loved ones died and passed away. Or was he asleep on the day when division came into the church? And when now here we are, the body of Christ, and now, and, and now we're struggling as a, as, a, as a body. Maybe he was asleep on that day. Or think whatever trial you're going through, whatever adversity you're going through, and ask yourself, was He asleep on that day, at that time in your life? And the answer is, let me say it again, He will keep you. And not only will He keep you, He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He will always keep you. I mean, remember the disciples on the boat when the storm came in? They thought, oh, well, it's all over with. Jesus is asleep, right? And the storm comes in and the waves are crashing and it looks like we're going under and, and they're panicking. And as they sail, he fell asleep and a windstorm came and down on the lake and they were filling up with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he woke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Now, in his flesh, he was sleeping, yes, but he's God, and God never sleeps. They were safe. They were secure in that boat. And he who keeps you will not slumber. Look at verse 5. He'll provide a shade for you is another way of saying his help. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. And so here we are, and these pilgrims are on this pathway. They're heading up to Jerusalem. Uh, the sunshine is probably unbearable. There's sun, sunburn there they could be getting, sunstroke. And then here it says, your God, by the way, will shade you from the sun. At the right place, on the right hand, he will, it's a place of defending you. God's wings will overshadow you and protect you. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Now, I can understand how God might shade us in a sense of not having any, any sunburn from the rays of the sun, but how does He protect us from the rays of the moon? What protection do we need there? Well, that's a good question. You know, it might come from the ancient understanding of, of the moon being of the place that affects the human mind. We've all heard of a lunatic, right? Luna, moon, and emotionally and mentally off because of the moon. Uh, maybe you've heard of night terrors. People at night who suddenly have signs of panic and anger, and, and they break out and, and lash out and, and uh, flailing around in, in the bed. Now, more than likely, the psalmist here is speaking of figuratively of... Uh, Basically saying he never sleeps nor he slumbers. He's always there to protect you. It doesn't matter whether the moon's up or the sun's up. But I do want to say this. There are, I'm speaking autobiographically here. I know in my life, when there's trials going on in my life, struggles, discouragement, things are going on and they haven't been resolved yet. You know when they come to me in the middle of the night? And it goes over my mind over and over and over again. And it's crazy. It doesn't help anything to, to rehearse all the things you're discouraged about in your mind, but you can't shut it off. You know, It's, it's there. And what I took from this passage was that when that happens... You're tossing and turning and you're replaying the adversities of life in your mind during the night and you can't sleep. If you go back to this psalm and you read this psalm and realize that you have a God who's watching over you. He's keeping you even while you're in bed and even while you're asleep while the moon's out. The dragons might be out at night, but so is God. You remind us that the shade that God protects, He will keep you nothing, nothing will harm you. It's no wonder that this psalm is is a psalm that's read by many saints throughout the history of the church right before they go to bed. You know, you open up this psalm and you read it before you go to bed and it just calms and soothes your heart. We see lastly the expectation of God's preservation. Verse 7, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. What does that mean? It seems like he's saying that he's going to keep us from any bad things ever happening to us. He's going to keep all things evil from coming to me. I'm not going to have any adversity. In fact, this is a psalm that says it's written by uh, Anonymous. It's an anonymously written psalm, but maybe we could say, Did Joel Osteen write this psalm? And it sounds like it's a name it and claim it. The Lord will keep you from all evil. I can hear Joel saying this. He will keep your life. Nothing will happen. Everything's good. And then the teeth sparkle and every, everyone smiles and says, praise the Lord. Well, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. What we call the analogy of Scripture is we let Scripture interpret Scripture. And we say, well, wait a minute, that's not biblical. Well, of course evil going to come our way. Read Ephesians six. Read about spiritual warfare and fiery darts and the wicked one being, boom, you know, hitting you and they explode. And man, this—you're going to have evil's going to attack you. You're going to battle with evil. It's not going to be totally gone away. But it's good to know he will keep your life. I mean, when it's all said and done, no, no evil can defeat you. He will keep your life. And we're going to see he goes on to say for all eternity. So God's not promising a a life without trials. He's not promising a life without evil attacks. Normative Christianity is spiritual warfare. There's an enemy, an evil, wicked enemy that attacks. But We know that's not true. God does provide protection. And we must not interpret this in a wooden way because adversity is part of the Christian life. But here's what's good. He takes the evil that comes into our life and He flips it for good. Now, you can rest on that. I mean, when it seems like everything's out of control and the evil seems to be winning out in your life, you know, you, you, there's passages of Scripture you can go to realize, oh, wait a minute, my God's in control. He's the one who made the heavens and the earth. He's the sovereign God. He's the all-powerful God. Is any evil going to defeat me spiritually in His work in my life? And the answer is No. And perhaps the clearest example is found in the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 50. Remember the brothers? They beat him up, throw him in a ditch and haul him off to be going into captivity and then into prison. And finally he gets out and he meets the brothers. And in verse 20 it says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so just to remind ourselves that our God's in control, He's the keeper. Yeah, evil might be seem like it's winning out in your life, but God is reversing it and using it for your good. He's your shield. He's protecting you. And He's giving you assurance of that. And then we go on and we see that We're reading this psalm. Well, I'll bring that up in a minute, but let's go to verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So the psalmist ends with a declaration that God will always keep you. It's not just for a temporary time here on earth, but He'll always keep you from your going forth until your coming in. So from getting up, getting in your car, heading out to work, going to the office, taking the kids off to school, from your getting up to you come home, you, you kick back, you put the sweats on, you get ready to go to bed, you, you get in bed, you're going to sleep. From the coming out and the coming in, He will keep you. By the way, this is a figure of speech. No matter what you do, what, when you do it, God will be there to keep you. Deuteronomy 28.6, 2 Kings 19.27 are good proof texts of that. He will keep you to the end of your pilgrimage here on earth. He will not lose anyone who, who He truly saved. He'll be secure until the day that you pass from this life. But then here's even, it's even better than that, it's forever. So that means there's going to become a time on the other side After you see now Jesus face to face, your pilgrimage on earth is over with, and you're looking at the Savior, and He's looking at you, and He says, Well done, thy good and faithful servant, because I've kept you. For Paul, God kept him through riots, didn't He? didn't keep him out of the riots. He went through them, but He kept him. He kept him through imprisonments. He kept him through beatings and he was stoned and left to die. He even kept him when he put his head down on the executioner's block and they they took the axe and whacked off his head. God kept him. You say he died. But he saw Christ face to face. He went in the presence of heaven. God kept him. To live as Christ and to die as gain. His soul was kept. And this, is, this great gain should be your expectation. His persevering, keeping you for all eternity should be your expectation in the midst of adversity. So as we close, you know your pilgrimage here on earth, like these pilgrims that went up to Jerusalem, is going to be, as far as biblical expectations go, a life of trials. It's going to be a life of adversity. It's going to be a, a life of tribulation. A life of persecution I don't mean nonstop you understand what I'm saying It's not like uh, that's all there is, but when these things happen in your life they're they're not abnormal they're normative as far as a Christian life goes here's the thing it's so easy to become discouraged and to fall off the spiritual tracks and uh, and to drop out and that's where psalm one twenty one comes in and and we bring it back to us. we read it again and remember this that. That our, our, our thoughts and our expectations need to be biblical. So not only expect adversity, but expect God's help. Expect God's protection. He's not going to let your, your foot be moved. He's going to keep you from falling. Expect, to, expect Him to keep you. And expect Him to have a perseverance where He will keep you Spiritually His throughout all eternity. No evil will come upon you, whatever, from wherever you are secure in Him. So, those are some encouraging words I just pulled out of this passage I wanted to share with you this morning. There's no need to fear. Uh, no, no need to be anxious in the Christian life. Uh, you have a God, a God of grace. Who, By the way, if you read through that psalm again by yourself, we'll be singing it in a minute. Remember this, as, as, as you read through it, what is it that I'm doing to make myself feel better in Psalm 121? I don't see anything except trusting in God. I mean, He's doing it all. I mean, He's doing the helping, He's doing the protecting, He's doing the keeping. It's all of God, it's all of grace, it's all of Him. He just wants me to trust Him through this for our good and for His glory. Let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I pray you would apply it to need in our heart. could well be that some, if not a few, of many have come here today with a heavy heart, downcast, discouraged. Lord, I pray that you would just take home the the truths from this psalm and make them real in their hearts. Lord, produce joy as we realize you're the God who 24-7 is our keeper. And Lord, the God who's 24-7, who's working all things out for our good. Oh, Father, we look for the day when we will see you face to face. Till that day, we, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.